Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of podcast. Tell us your name and your role in the film. Uh, my name is Ed Bowes. I'm the director of the film The Mirror. Okay. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis? Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, it's 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 based on a true story, which uh, which I know is is a bit of a dubious sounding thing to say, but I will explain in greater detail. It's all about three three flatmates who uh, buy a mirror off eBay uh, with the intention of putting it up in their flat, capturing some spooky stuff on camera, and submitting it, and hopefully winning something called the one million dollar paranormal challenge. Okay. Which is an actual prize, which is offered by a sort of skeptics organization in America called the James Randi Foundation. Brilliant. Um, and uh, suffice to say, it being a horror film, things do not go to plan. Things <laughs> things don't go well at all. Okay, okay. Now, based on given given we've got a fright fest audience going to watch this very soon. Yes. Um, if fifty fifty is equal split of scares and gross gross out gore. <clears throat> Yeah, what's the ratio of your film of scares to gross out gore? This is this is probably going to disappoint some people, but it's it's I would say it's about it's about ninety ten in okay. terms of scares versus gore. So the idea with this film was to was to create something that that focused on the sort of the psychological aspect of having this supposedly possessed haunted object in the house of these, in the flat of these, uh, of these characters. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to go that route, well, there's two reasons. The first of which was the budget. So the budget for the film was £10,000. Very well done. Um, and uh, the, uh, a large percentage of that money was spent on two practical effects sequences, one of which is, uh, is quite graphic, where one of the characters uh, scoops their eyes out with a with a with a kitchen knife. Very nice, uh, very nice. And, <laughs> and the other, of which is a throat slashing sequence, which um, everyone who's seen From Hell uh, obviously has that amazing throat slash in it, or has several. Um, and I wanted something as good. So, what better place to go to than the company that actually did that, who are called Millennium Effects? Wow, so there, are two, there are two sort of, you know, there are two. But uh, let's be honest, say, Paranormal Activity did quite well without any gore, so I don't think the horror <laughs> audience. Well, the, the other thing is, is that this film, you know, it is it is based on a true story. And shall I explain what I mean by that? Well, we'll get into that in a second. And I, need to, I want you to tell me first when and where we can see the film at Fright Fest. Certainly. Uh, it's on at the View Leicester Square in the, I think it's called the Discovery 2 strand, That's and it's right. on Saturday, 23rd of August at 6.10pm. It's quite a good slot. It is a brilliant slot. It's a brilliant slot. Now, in terms of, let's, you've already started sort of shedding light on the kind of 
the challenges and constraints and how to get creative with the budget you're working to yes. and developing a script. So do you want to take us through develop? I mean, you were, you were alluding to it there. Do you want to take us through that, that evolution of the true story? Cause yes. I've read about it in the papers as you kindly gave me a link. Yes. And, um, and when you say true story, what you mean is you're in it. <laughs> so literally you're saying I've been scared by a ghost. So, Tell me something about that and how that, that, that evolved into a script. Certainly, certainly. So, so what, what happened was I, I directed a film, which you may or may not have seen, called Blooded, um, which is about people, people who are sort of hunters who go out to a remote Scottish island. They get hunted by a sort of very extreme group of animal activists and they're forced to make all these confessions and so on. Uh, and the film actually came out. It was released theatrically in 2011 by okay. Revolver Entertainment. No one I've seen, but I'll check it out. No longer exists. Um, and uh, and I hadn't directed anything since... Well, the film came out in 2011. I hadn't directed anything for the previous... Well, the film was actually shot in 2008. Wow. So I'd got to... It took a long time to post-produce for a variety of reasons I won't... I shan't bore you with. But it's, suffice to say that I, I had not directed a, another film for what felt like a very long time. It was actually about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to get on and do something else, um, and you know really the sort of the, the the key obstacle was budget. Where was the money going to come from, um, and so on? And I was sort of mulling all this over in my, in my mind when I saw we rented the first VHS, you know, the anthology, um, which I absolutely loved. I know a lot of people didn't, but I thought it was great. And I started thinking about doing a found footage film. But I didn't really know what I was going to make it about, but I, I, that was my first point of sort of, um, of, of getting the film, getting the mirror actually up and running, because I thought a found footage film, you can do it cheaply, yeah. you can do it using cheap cameras, you, uh, it's perfectly suited to horror, um, but the question was, what was the story going to be? And about a week later, a couple of weeks later, I read a story in the paper, or if it was online, about these two flatmates in North London and they had rescued a mirror, like a sort of Victorian-style antique mirror, from a skip outside their house. And they put it up in their flat. And from that point, some very strange things started to happen. Uh, the first of which was they woke up, or certainly one of them woke up in the middle of the night, covered in scratches. Jeez. And these scratches were not like, you know, a bed spring. These scratches were as if some sort of animal or something had scratched his side. You can see pictures of all this online. So that was the sort of, that was the initial thing. And then um, the other things started to happen. It started to sort of escalate where they started seeing a sort of smoky sort of mist um, in, uh, in, in the ceiling of the, of, the, of the sort of the living room of their flat. And the extraordinary thing was is that one of them, one of them could see it. So there were two flatmates. One of them could see it, and the other one couldn't. Ooh. And the one who couldn't got a camera, and he held up the camera to the sort of smoky thing on the ceiling, which looked like a sort of a big sort of ghost, basically. And he could see it through the camera lens, and he took pictures of it. But he couldn't see it with the naked eye, which was sort of pretty, pretty amazing. That's more um, scary. Yeah. The idea that a camera uh, can see it and you can't. Well, this is, it was it was all quite bizarre, and then and then it, it got really bad because they started seeing figures in the mirror, uh, and things started moving around the flat by themselves. So there was a they caught on camera actually, 
um, and there's a there's a there's a, a sort of making of interview with the with the people that will hopefully be on the DVD, which okay. which has this footage um, of things moving by themselves. So I mean, it was it was pretty it was pretty sort of compelling stuff. And I went and I tracked the guys down. So the guys put the they put the mirror on eBay because they wanted to get rid of it, but they wanted it to go to someone who had some understanding of the paranormal. So they put it on as a haunt, excuse me, as a haunted mirror. Yeah. Um, and this sort of, for, you know, for reasons of curiosity, I guess, it got a huge amount of attention. So within the space of 24, 48 hours, they had 20,000 views on eBay. No way. And, uh, you know, everyone from sort of the Daily Mail to the Huffington Post to CNN, I mean, it went global as a story. But the extraordinary thing was they only had one bid. And the one bid was from this guy in Germany who said, I don't want people to know that I've got this thing. So he said, this must be anonymous. But I want to pay a very specific amount for the mirror. And they said, what's that? And he said, £777. <laughs> so they said, OK. And they, so the mirror, the mirror sort of went off to Germany. Um, and I got in touch with the guys through eBay. And I basically went to meet them in a pub in O'Neill's in Muswell Hill. This was in February of 2013. Okay. Um, and basically, we got we got talking. I obviously was a complete stranger to them. Uh, you know, they, they sort of took a bit of warming up, but they are lovely guys, and they've clearly been through this sort of horrific uh, experience. And I went back to their flat. I had a look at the mirror, so the mirror was still there in the flat at the time. Um, and, you know, their their story, true or not, was... Pretty amazing. So I put together a sort of very simple contract. I paid them £500 for the, for the rights of their story. They signed, I signed, we shook hands, and I went off and started to think about what the story was that I was going to tell. And I quite quickly decided that I wasn't going to tell the story of, of what happened to them exactly. I wanted to take a sort of fictional uh, diversion from reality and have three characters... Um, who buy the mirror from eBay. Um, and they do that with the express purpose of filming spooky stuff in order to claim this $1 million paranormal challenge. And that really was the genesis of the story. The other big decision I made was to do the whole thing... <coughs> in Excuse me. So to do the whole film improvised. So the entire film is all the dialogue. The majority of the story, in fact, was made up on the spot. So there was no script. There was only an outline. And the outline, frankly, if I showed you the... the, If you saw the film and you saw the original outline, there's there's not much correlation between the two. So it was was a nine-day experiment, but thankfully an experiment that sort of hopefully paid off. Well, you've got a film on a a horror festival, uh, Billion, so there's success already there, I would say. (laughs) Well, it it was one of those things where... It could have gone either way, and I think where a lot of horror films let themselves down is, frankly, having pretty crap acting. Um, so I went to a casting director who I know very well, called Gillian Horser, who, who cast Blooded. Hmm. Uh, and she's, she's one of these casting directors. She's like a gatekeeper to new British talent. So she's cast, you know, every single wrong turn sequel you can think of, she's cast all of those, okay. most, of which, most of which have, um, you know, have young British talent. So she gave Amelia Clark her first part, for instance, you know, from Game of Thrones. So she's a great, I mean, she's a fantastic person anyway, but she's, 
she's brilliant when it comes to sort of tapping new talent that no one's ever seen, mm-hmm. or more or less ever seen. And um, so I went to her, I explained what we were doing. We, I, I did a very simple character breakdown that said there are three characters, there are two boys, there's one girl. Uh, here's a brief sentence, what their character is like. I mean, to be frank, I didn't have much of an idea myself. I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to cast really super talented people who had a particular gift for improvisation and just for being engaging and, 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 and being, you know, magnetic on screen, mm-hmm. and more or less to create a sort of sandbox environment where I would say to them, OK, at the beginning of this scene, um, you're sitting around talking about whether you believe in ghosts. You're interviewing each other about whether you believe in ghosts. And uh, at some point during the scene, a buzzer will go and you will have a message through the intercom in the flat to say that something has arrived. So you're going to go downstairs, you're going to see what, see what it is, you're going to bring it up, you're going to unwrap it, and we'll take it from there. So it was very sort of simple, simple stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cast, you know, they were the key, and I was very fortunate to get some fantastic, well, three fantastic actors. So in that sense, then, the, 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 my question, it almost renders, I mean, although you've given a very lengthy answer, it almost renders the, 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 idea, the question of challenges to resolve the story time because you, you were, like you say, you were involving you, yourself and the actors in an experiment to mm. make a film as opposed to a clear vision of what the film was. You, 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 you knew what was at the heart of it mm-hmm. and, and you, knew what, you knew what was inspiring it, but obviously... Yes. You didn't actually know how that would pan out. <laughs> which I didn't, and that was that was sort of, you know it's a, it's a risky it's a very risky way to make a film. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. I sort of I sort of felt that um, I sort of felt it was a risk worth taking, and you know, if the whole thing ended up being a bit of a mess, well you know at least I'd have had a go. But but I did have I mean the one thing I did have in my mind which was crucial was an end point. So I knew what the end of the film was going to be and how we got there. I mean in a weird way it was literally it was like taking a journey where you go. I need to end up at point... I need to start at point A, I need to end at point B, and frankly, how I get there, let's just keep it as interesting and unexpected as possible, and as fresh and sort of alive as an experience as... as, as, is, as it, is it contained, the film, in terms yeah, of... Yeah, it's all... It so it's, it's... So 90% of the film is set in a flat. OK. Which sounds very off-putting, but it's one of those flats that... You know the flat in Friends? It's got a very sort of warehousey sort of feel to it. It was mm-hmm. sort of similar to that. It's a sort of warehouse conversion type flat. So actually there's a lot of different sort of spaces within the flat um, to use. But there is also one of the characters sort of... Um, uh, he is affected in, in, in certain ways by the mirror and goes out to sort of do various terrible things at night. So there is, there are elements of the story that take place outside, but ninety percent is set in in a single location. So I mean, the challenge was to was to really explore a bit like Shallow Grave, for instance, which is the majority of which is set in a flat, but still manages to be engaging. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. The no, I think, I think you me, I think like you say it's it's the, um, the 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 relationship between your three characters that's going to make it interesting, not. Not exactly. And to answer your question about the, about the sort of challenges in terms of the script, so there wasn't a script, there was an outline, and the outline, like I said before, was very different to how the eventual film turned out. And the reason for that was because my sort of touchstone for this was paranormal activity, the first one. And mm-hmm. I, I read the story about the mirror, and I thought, this is a British paranormal activity. And the great thing is, why this is better potentially, in terms of a concept, is because it's real. 
And because there is an object out there which is, you know, which may may very well have these sort of extraordinary sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, qualities to it, paranormal qualities. Um, so I, the original treatment was actually quite paranormal heavy. So there were lots of things like, for instance, there was going to be a scene where there was a sort of like a demonic sort of handprint on the inside of the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another scene where they saw the smoke, uh, similar to the real experience of the flatmates. They were going to see the smoke in the ceiling of the flat um, and be terrified by it. Um, there was going to be a figure that appeared in the mirror, a sort of black smoky figure. And actually, it was the sort of thing that when we got on set, there is a there is a sort of a bizarre thing that happens when you're making a film, which is that the film tells you what sort of film it wants to be, which sounds weird. But in this instance, it was particularly true because what turned out to be much more interesting than having lots of slightly cheesy paranormal stuff happening was to really properly explore what it was like for these three characters to be living in this space with something that is evil and is having an effect on all of them and how that affects their friendships and how ultimately it splits them all apart and sort of completely, you know, completely ruins them, Um, which reflected the real experience of the flatmates because the real flatmates, almost the most interesting part of their experience wasn't necessarily things moving, smoke appearing. It was the fact that certainly one of them, his personality changed completely. So he was actually psychologically affected by the mirror. So that aspect of it, I felt, would just really make it a bit more of an interesting experience where you, the viewer, feel like you're in the flat experiencing what the flatmates are experiencing and asking yourself the question, which is, what would I do in that situation? Which is, which is where good horror always works. It's the, more, the more like you make the audience feel like a voyeur rather than along for a ride. Precisely. But this is not... So this isn't... Going back to the whole gore thing... <coughs> This is not one of those films where people get killed every 10, 10 minutes. Mm. Um, and to be honest, that's not the sort of horror film that I particularly particularly like. Um, you know, my favourite film is The Shining, and I think The Shining, you know, you could almost take away the supernatural aspect from The Shining, and you wouldn't have a vastly different film. Um, in the sense that, you know, really what's The Shining about? It's about the internal tensions within the family unit. You know, it's about, it's about someone going insane. Indeed. And the supernatural element, you know, don't get me wrong, I love it, I think it's great, but it's not, it's not as central to the story as it might otherwise, as it might have been. Um, and I wanted to sort of take a similar tack, which was this is about the effect of the paranormal on people who aren't just cardboard cutout people who are going to get killed every 10, 10 minutes. This is about, you know, something real happening to real people. So how did, how did you, like, for example, the location you used, was that something you already had to hand or did you use that from somebody else? That, that, was, that, was, that was the biggest. So there were, two, there were two nightmares when it came to making this film, the mm-hmm. first of which was um, finding the location. And what happened was, is, you know, when you're trying to find somewhere to film, you sort of think about, you know, flats that belonged... Because I needed a flat, and it needed to be similar size to the one in Shallow Grave. It needed to have a lot of space in which to film. And also bear in mind that we had a crew of sort of eight or nine people, which is a tiny crew, but still, those people need to... They need to sit somewhere. They need to be somewhere. There needs to be a monitor. There needs to be space for the sound and so on. 
So I was looking for, for quite a large property and also one that had quite a unique look to it. And I, I must have looked at maybe mm, 30, 40 flats. Jeez. And I was contacting landlords, <clears throat> sort of Zoopla and, you know, Rightmove and all that, and saying, I want to shoot a horror film in your flat. And as soon as they hear horror film, they think, there's going to be blood on my curtains, there's going to be intestines on my, in, my, in my sink, yeah. and I'm not really up for that. So a lot of them, basically, I mean, a lot of them actually wasted quite a bit of my time because, you know, I'd tell them, then I'd explain to them what we were doing, and I'd, I'd say to them, look, it is not in my interest to ruin your flat, and that's absolutely not what I intend to do. I said this is much more of a sort of psychological horror. It's not like Hostel. And still, they just, they didn't, it was off-putting to most people. And I nearly, um, shame to say, I nearly cancelled the project because I just could not find anywhere to film. And I was at my wit's end, and someone said to me, go to Foxton's. So I went to Foxton's uh, with slightly apprehensively um, and said to them, here's what I'm looking for. And I got in contact with this amazing girl called Amy. And Amy basically was like, she was like my sort of saving grace. She worked for about a month, for which I paid. If you're paying a location scout to work for a month to find you a location, you'd probably end up paying, I don't know, two grand. Yeah, Amy did the whole thing <clears throat> for, I think it was 350 quid. Hold on, Amy. So we found this amazing location in somewhere called Tabernacle Street, which is just off Old Street Roundabout in London. Mm -hmm. um, and it was—it really was. It was the perfect. It was the perfect location. And when I, when I said to the landlord, who was a fantastic guy called Nick, when I said to him, "We're making a horror film," he looked at me and he said, "Well, look, that's fine. To be honest, my personal preference is porn. Um, however, <laughs> uh, that's fine by me." So he was one of those guys who was like, "Look." If you break it, you pay for it or you fix it. But mm. apart from that, help yourself. So we were really lucky to get that flat. And as I think I said earlier, the flat really is almost like a character in the film. Um, and it also had lots of little nooks and crannies. So for the sequences where people are creeping around the flat, there was lots of sort of corners to go around and sort of places where people could hide and stuff. So it was, it was great. And I'm guessing from your point of view as a director, it helped to make it cinematic. Yeah, it did. The flat actually has got a very long corridor all the way down it, um, and uh, and that lent itself really well to some nice sort of handheld tracking shots to build up a sense of tension. Mm. The other the other nightmare, I'll just say very briefly, was that um, the flat. So I went and saw the flat at like six p.m. on a morning <coughs> or something, and I looked at it and I thought, "This is great, fantastic. I'll take it." And what I didn't realise is there was a building site next door. And it was a building site I couldn't see from the front or from the side. But when we started filming, every, I would say, five minutes, there was the sound of heavy drilling. Oh, my word. Yeah, to the point where you physically couldn't, I mean, well, you could film, but you couldn't use the sound from the filming. So it was this extraordinary thing where basically we would, we would, start, we would start to shoot... The drilling would come in, we'd literally stop, everyone would sort of pause themselves, we'd wait for the drilling to finish and then carry on the scene. What, you wouldn't restart the scene? You'd actually... Well, we'd, in some cases, we'd just carry on with the scene and just do a bit of a sort of, bit of a, bit of a cutaway somewhere. But that was, that was really tough. I mean, it really added to the stress of the whole thing. But in a weird way, it was also quite positive because it meant that in the time when there wasn't drilling, 
people really focused in a way that potentially they might not have focused as much if they hadn't if we hadn't had that restriction. That's interesting. That the kind of the, the the logic of we've got all day to shoot versus if we never finish any shot, we'll be all day on this one shot. So let's deadlines are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then. I mean, I'd be interested to know how you told me about the, the casting director and how she was wonderful at sort of finding you that fresh talent who who are going to be good to improvise. But how how did you work with them in the pre-production, or did you did you not spend any time with them until you got on set? No, I did. I did. I I spent well. I spent two. So the the shoot was nine days, mm. and I spent two days beforehand. So technically, it was eleven, although we weren't shooting the first two days. I spent the first two days rehearsing with them. And actually, what it was, it was, it was much more about them interacting with each other and actually becoming friends because they didn't know each other at all. Okay. And it was, it was important for the dynamic of the film that they felt like friends. Of course. They, you know, sometimes you see films and there's a couple in a film and you sort of think, mm, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that they have met each other. <laughs> this shoot started, um, and and so having that group dynamic was quite important. One of the things I sort of suggested, and it was a bit of a tricky one, this, was that they spend some time together in the flat, um, you know, potentially sleeping overnight in the flat because there's plenty of space, hmm. uh, and sort of cooking for each other and, and just sort of living as flatmates. And they did a little bit of that. Um, but, but that really was the, that was the focus of, of working with them before we started to shoot. And we rehearsed, like, you know, we'd do a couple of sort of dummy scenes in the flat... What, what was that? Out of interest, did mm. you get every, out of the three people you chose? Did you yeah. have people that when you when you told them what the process was, they went not for me? What were there people who came in and in the casting? Yeah, said, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, no, actually, everyone. I mean, one of the things is is that you know when you when you do a when you do a casting, the casting director will send out a sort of a breakdown, like a brief or, or whatever about the project. Mm-hmm. So all the, all the agents are aware that it's going to be an improvised film, that there's no script, that it's going to be dialogue characterization that comes from the actors. So they presumably send along their their talent who are who are talented at that sort of thing. Okay. And what's interesting is that you'll 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 talk to actors and you'll say, and you know, I've got an extremely high respect for actors and what they do. I mean, it's amazing. But you talk to some actors. In fact, you talk to all actors and you say. Do you like improvisation? And they'll say, it's my favourite thing to do. I love doing it in drama school. It's so freeing, etc. And what's interesting is that, you know, all of them all of them say they love doing it, but doesn't necessarily mean they can all do it well. <laughs> and um, an important part of the casting process, so we cast over the course of two days. Day one was everyone come in, we saw about 40 people for the three parts, Everyone come in, tell us a scary story, no longer than five minutes, go. And it was great, actually, because, you know, most castings, they come in, and they're all, all these actors are sitting there looking at a single bit of script, sort of tearing their hair out, looking sort of nervous. Whereas in this casting, they were all having great fun because they didn't have to learn anything. They could just sit and come up with a story. <laughs> and we heard some really, I mean... <clears throat> now but there were some really creepy stories that people came up with mm. so it was it was really fun apart from anything else just to sort of sit and listen to ghost stories all day which i love um and then the second day we had a sort of short list of mm, maybe sort of 10 12 people and we got them into the room together and basically did a whole day of sort of different combinations of people you know acting sort of together 
doing an improvised scene. So I would say, okay, um, one of the characters is is becoming obsessed with the mirror, and the other character is being a bit lighthearted about it, and and there's sort of tension between the two of them, or something like that. Yeah. And they would they would then just run that scene. So we sort of did that with loads of different combinations until we found the perfect combination. Um, but it was very important to see the proof was in the pudding, as it were, during the casting process, that they could improvise, as opposed to saying, can you improvise? Them saying, yeah, sure, getting on set, realising, <laughs> actually, they can't. So when you're on set, then, mm-hmm. and you're filming it, and, you're, again, you've, you've, you've shone quite a lot of light on, on what went on and, and, your, and your approach and stuff, but if the... I mean, on the questions, I, I've sort of said, Biggie said it, but that seems a bit... does seem a bit too negative on reflection. So what do you consider to be kind of your... What was the, what was the your, question? Sorry, I haven't got there yet. I'm, I'm rambling around it, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I was just thinking into... I was just saying that in, in the questions I'd sort of given you beforehand, I'd, I'd said what was the biggest headache, but I think that's a negative, too negative a connotation. Yeah. What I was thinking was, what do you consider to be, from a directing point of view, given you didn't have a... given you weren't working off a script as well, so it's sort of what do you consider to be your your great achievement in terms of showing what's going on in the film? You know, what what did you get right that you kind of when you went in? If you remember going into that part of it from the filming point of view, you were kind of like, well, I mean, given the whole thing was a was a was an experiment. Was there elements within that big experiment where you're going, I'm not sure we're going to pull this off? So was there any kind of achievement in the edit room? You're going, look at that. It's yeah, the, <clears throat> particularly with the ending. Mm. And I won't say what the ending is because that would be a shame for people who want to see the film. No, no, I've not seen it yet. Either, it's, it's okay, okay. So, so the ending is um, uh, the ending. I would say is quite is quite scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was concerned. And it's also it's relatively short, so it takes place over about two and a half minutes. And my big concern was that the the whole build-up of the film, and, you know, there are scary moments sort of through the film, um, but the ending really is the kicker. Mm. And I was concerned that the ending of the film wouldn't be basically long enough to justify all the build-up. And it was the sort of thing where you're, you're doing it, and it's it looks like one long take, but we actually broke it down into several different takes and just did cuts on movement of the camera. Um, and that was terrifying to me, because as I was editing the film, I was getting closer and closer to the end of the film, and I was thinking, oh, my God, if I put this together, if I put the end of it together and it just feels like it's over in an instant and isn't a satisfying conclusion to the film, then the entire film is a complete waste of my time, the audience's time, uh, and I've completely screwed the whole thing. Okay. So I was nervous about that, and I put the whole thing together, and when you shoot something in pieces and it's very late at night, and there's lots of effects involved, which there, which there are in the final sequence, lots of prosthetics and, and sort of disgusting stuff going on, um, you, you lose sight of how the whole thing will ultimately fit together. So you can only really think of it in little sections. And that was my big concern, was are those little sections going to fit together to create a sort of really decent whole? And thankfully, they did. Well done. <laughs> well, I think so. Let's let people <laughs> let's let people make up their own minds about. Well, that. no, I mean, obviously, it's the, the challenge starts with you. So, if you're happy, then that's 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 certainly that's a step forward. And like I say, you know, I think the other the other things, you know, was that I, I that that when you know the whole sort of concept of the film is 
people, three friends, um, there was a couple and their sort of friend who were in a flat for 90% of the film with a mirror, which may or may not be haunted and may or may not be having an effect on the characters and sort of splitting them apart and causing frictions and, and weird things to happen. I suppose my overall concern was, is that going to be a boring film? And actually what's been nice is the people who, people who I don't have any connection with who've seen the film have said it's very watchable as a film, which is very pleasing for me to hear. Mm-hmm. But also one of the, my best comments I've had, the best comments I've had from, from anyone really, has been I didn't know whether to, to laugh or be scared. And that was another <laughs> thing that I sort of wanted to introduce into the film quite a bit was humour. Because I think a film where it's quite intense and psychological, I think if it doesn't have humour, then it becomes quite heavy and quite dull. And actually, there's quite a lot of humour throughout the film. So hopefully it's an entertaining watch in terms of it being, you know, amusing banter as well as scary stuff. But I think, I think that's a very human trait, to be honest with you. And I think that, you know, we haven't invented the phrase gallows humour for nothing. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll exactly. find something funny in the worst scenarios. So yeah. in a yeah. horror film, yeah, and you're... You're in the best. You're in the best setting, aren't you? Really, to explore. Exactly. exactly. Fear it's, like, it's like when you see Woman in Black. You know, on stage. I mean, <coughs> everyone screams when the Woman in Black appears, and then you know the first thing they do afterwards is burst out laughing, mm. and that's great. And you know, you 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 sort of you have the feeling that being terrified and being you know finding something very funny, those two sensations are actually quite closely sort of linked. Um, so I'm pleased that the film is not just, you know, 83 minutes of sort of people shouting at each other. It's actually got a, a very sort of funny sort of flavour to it as well. And, and that's, you know, again, going, is it the thing, from, although you improvise it, that's the sort of thing you want from, 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 from a screenplay, is that the characters have got a life of their own that you can believe that they had one before they came on screen. And, exactly, and and exactly. Something, you can imagine them doing something afterwards kind of thing. Precisely, and it sort of comes back to the point about, you know, you want to care about the characters. Hmm. You only care about the characters if the characters are credible, if to some extent they're real, if you can imagine walking up to them and shaking their hand in real life. And that's really what I wanted to do, and that's probably what I'm most proud of about the film, is that, you know, it being a horror film, things don't really end up very, very sort of happily for for the cast. Hmm. And um, and I wanted to, to have that feeling of, you know, I feel like I've lived with this person, I know this character, and therefore when bad things happen to them, I'm going to care on a sort of slightly deeper level than, oh, that was a good kill. I I completely support that kind of thing in horror films. I think that's... <laughs> uh, no, it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly with you as, on, on, on the sh- being a fan of The Shining, which I know talking to, to, to horror fans isn't, isn't a truism for all horror fans. Some just can't stand it. It's kind of a, it's a real Marmite movie in, in sort of horror world, as far as I can tell. Um, <clears throat> now, the Raph Frightfest audience is, um, is, is arguably as famous as the filmmakers that put the films on there now. Um, have, you, have you been to Frightfest before? So I'm ashamed to say I haven't. So, so I should be absolutely clear uh, about about the fact that I, uh, I absolutely I love horror films. I grew up with horror films, and you know, I, from the age of probably about six, I was raised on a diet of a, a diet of basically Sam Raimi, Peter Jackson, Frank Helen Lotter, um, you name it. Well, no, what I was going to say was because because last year Mark, Mark Kermode he, he came along and watched the uh, the, the the reboot of uh, Child's Play. 
that was sh- that, that premiered last year. The remake that Charles played. I yeah, they did like um, they did a, well, a sequel, but it was like a. It'd been a long time between the last version and this oh, one. Oh, I see. And, okay. Um, and he was he observed in his sort of in his in his reviews of it that um, watching a film like that with a horror audience is a lot different than watching it in your normal. If you mm. went on a normal Thursday at the View, you know where yeah. Frightfest is taking place, yeah. you wouldn't have the same kind of. And it's that bit you were saying about the woman in black thing, and the same happens in these in these films. There is the shriek of panic, there is yes. the the gasps, and then there is the laughs. And the laughs are as important from that audience because of what they like about horror films and what they enjoy about them as mm. the jumps and the gross outs are. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you've got is a very very kind of a, a self aware audience, I guess, at Frightfest. Yes. So, with that in mind, and obviously then then thinking about you anticipating a load of horror fans as opposed to just a load of film fans. Yes. What 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 are you sort of excited to see from a horror audience watching your film? Uh, that is a that is a good question. Um, I suppose I suppose it's probably so. I've never been to Fright Fest, despite loving horror films all my life, which is a which is a source of of complete embarrassment for me. But but I'm certainly going to be. They're a friendly bunch. Should be all right. <laughs> I'm sure. I think what uh, I think what is going to be nice is going to be a sort of. Um, so we did a screening of the film, and it was in quite a sort of. It was in quite a small screening room, um, and there were some friends, some some sort of industry people, and bits of the film which usually get a big laugh didn't 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 so much. I think because it was quite a small audience, people were quite self aware. People were a bit sort of nervous about sort of laughing out loud because you know they were sitting in a room of only 30, 40 seats. Mm. I think what's going to be great fun is going to be being in a relatively large space, and you know, f- people who are there to have an experience, to enjoy it. You know, who are, who aren't necessarily walking in there with a very cynical "oh, I'm not going to be scared by this" sort of attitude, but you know, hopefully welcoming the film with sort of open arms and just for them to enjoy it because really that's why I made it it's for people to sort of to enjoy it, you know, have a good time, to get shit scared at the end, hopefully, um, <laughs> you know, and to sort of uh, and to sort of feel that it's slightly different from sort of other other horrors that that they might have come across. Well, no, I think that that's a that's honourable intention. I think that's what that's what you certainly that's what you'll get. You'll get an audience that's 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 open to the uh, the idea of your film and and want and a want to enjoy it as opposed to maybe a a, a, a little less aware audience who who aren't who don't. And and they'll enjoy you know your your scares and your your jumps and your like you say that you introduced in the beginning you talked about the two kind of expensive scenes in inverted commas yes you know um, you know going to the, they'll be that you, you know when pe- people people can send you know you can see if you see enough films of this this kind of budget you you know where somebody's gone right this is where I'm putting all my, putting all my, <laughs> I'm putting a few eggs in this basket at this point here <laughs> and people understand that so yeah no, I think you'd be a, I think you'd be all right and by the sounds of things it's a, given it's given the um given the provenance of the of the real life story back in back in North London one time that you read in a paper I think it's a nice I think it's a nice lineage into a horror film you know to 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 adapt a true story as opposed to just reenact it well, the other the other thing, I mean, what I do regret now is that I had the um, I did have the option to actually buy the mirror. Really? Uh, yeah, and and I I didn't I didn't, and the reason I didn't is because I I was certainly I was sceptical about the story, not not in a sort of not in a sort of uh, 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 you know unpleasant way, just sort of you know I was I was just naturally cautious about about something that seemed so extraordinary. Um, 
And I suppose that there was enough doubt in my mind, certainly from the very beginning, that I didn't want to bring something into my own house or garage or whatever that that may have some sort of negative sort of effect on my life. So I I, I didn't I didn't buy the mirror. The mirror went off to, to Germany, like I said earlier. Um, and I ended up buying a sort of prop, a prop mirror. Um, and what we're going to do at Fright Fest is the, the two guys, or certainly one of the one of the guys who, who was one of the flatmates who went through this sort of experience with the real mirror, they are going to come on stage at the end of the film. Uh, and we're going to give away the actual mirror that is used in the film. So it's, a, it's an opportunity for people to ask the questions they want to ask of the real people um, and also to, 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 win a, to win a movie prop. That's fantastic. I think that's so. <laughs> that'll, that'll be right up the Fright Fest audience street. If, well, like I say, if I'd, really, if I'd really used my brain, if I'd been clever, what I would have done is I would have bought the mirror, I would have chucked it in storage somewhere, I would have then, five minutes before the screening, got it out, taken it to the, Odeon, uh, to the View Leicester Square and uh, brought it up on stage. But, you know, actually, even in that instance, I wouldn't necessarily want to give some nice Fright Fest person um, such a sort of such a loaded object. Um, so maybe it's just for the best that you know the mirror is with someone who presumably appreciates it. <laughs> well, look, let's move, move, let's digress for a moment. Yes, uh, we're Britflix.com yes. talking about your film at Frightfest, but I want you to recommend me a British horror film that you feel is maybe grossly underrated and deserves a bit more kudos. Yeah, definitely. So I have to declare an interest here, which is that um, a friend of mine made a film which was released, um, I think it was 20... I think it was last year, in fact, called The Facility. Okay. Have you seen The Facility? No, no, go on. So it's a film... I I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to spoil it, but... Hold on, is this this the kind of clinical trials one? Yes. Okay, I've seen the trailer for it, yeah. Okay, so it's a very, it's a, it's a, in terms of, for what it is, which I don't mean to sound patronising at all, because what I mean is, it is a low-budget film, so I think it was made for 80 grand or something, mm-hmm. and they've got this fantastic sort of hospital location where, and again, it's based, it's sort of inspired by true events where there was, you might remember, sort of several years ago, there was a clinical trial on people that went incredibly badly wrong. In Enfield, the elephantitis. Yeah, yes, I think that's it, exactly. And so Ian took this as a sort of starting point for his for his film, um, and it was released. Uh, I think it was in Fright Fest. I certainly went to the Edinburgh Film Festival. It's it's a gr- it's it's a great example of you know innovative, scary British filmmaking on a budget with a really great idea, some great effects. It's got some real sort of psychological sort of heft um, as a movie. It's got some great sort of characterizations it's definitely worth checking out no no we, we don't mind vested interests i mean it's it's hard enough for films to get spotted so <laughs> we every i think every filmmaker appreciates any any uh, heads up people can give or potential new audiences i think it's one of those films that you know it hasn't been seen by enough people um so that's the reason i bring it up because no, it's definitely no, it's definitely worth a watch for no, sure thank, thank you know, you. particularly if you're someone who's listening to something like this who is thinking to themselves, right, I'm going to make a horror film, and where do, where do I start? Well, you could look at the facility, um, a bit like you could look at the mirror, and, you know, basically copy copy what we've done. Indeed. No, no, that's sound advice. Um, do, do you have uh, an official release 
date for your film, or is the festival yes, the release yeah, date? Yeah, there is. So uh, Fright Fest is on the 23rd of August. Yeah. Uh, it's going um, It's going to be available on VOD, so sort of video on demand. Um, don't I can't remember exactly what all the various outlets are, but it's, it's all the usual outlets. I think things like Blimp. Blink box and uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. So it will be it will be available. I imagine it will be on iTunes. Um, certainly, it'll be on DVD. Whether it will be on Netflix or not, I don't know. I think there's some supermarkets that might stock it. But definitely, if you if you want to see it, there will be an opportunity to see it. So what what's the is that release date determined yet or twenty fifth? Oh, so that literally straight after you've, you've, you've more or less after you've shown it's going to be available. Exactly. I exactly. see. I see. Sorry. <clears throat> Well, look, thank you very much, Ed, for your time. Not um, at all, Stuart. Good luck um, with uh, your premiere at, at Fright Fest and your, and your first Fright Fest experience as well. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of... It's the BritLinks.com podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of... It's the BritFlix.com podcast.